Listening to Enter VR, the podcast where we talk about all things virtual reality. I am Chris Miranda, your host, and on today's show, I have Sam Watts. Sam, uh, you are enlightening me here. Uh, the developer, the creator, uh, working with Radial G. What are you, sir? Uh, my official title is game producer, uh, but then that also covers uh, community management, marketing, and PR. Okay, how big is the Radial G uh, team at this point? At this point. Uh, there's five of us currently. Uh, we have a sort of game director and lead designer, uh, a concept artist and vehicle designer. Uh, that's one person. Um, and uh, we have um, uh, the 3D modeler and then our main game coder. Wow. Okay. And you're you guys are doing this in in Unity. But but first, before we get moving forward on that, um, what is Radial G? Uh, just for those for the un, un, uninitiated. Uh, Radio G is uh, a futuristic arcade racer. Um, I know that we're doing a podcast for VR today, but uh, we do support a 2D version that doesn't require Oculus, um, which we're obviously keen to stress as well, not to uh, single anybody out. Um, and uh, it's very much in the vein of sort of F-Zero, Wipeout, Extreme G, um, people have likened it to being a spiritual successor to, to all of those. Hmm. Um, and um, we think it's going to be you know, the hot new thing for virtual reality moving forward. Yeah, it's, it looks pretty hot, i got to admit. You know, um, what was it about virtual reality that uh, attracted you guys to, to developing support for it? Well, between the team, we probably have, oh, I don't know, about 25 years worth of uh, of combined VR experience, um, working with serious simulators and uh, military-grade VR. Uh, so when uh, the Oculus Rift Kickstarter came around and was uh, hoping to release a product that was going to be low-cost but high-quality and high-specification, uh, we jumped at the chance to back it and get involved because it was something that was obviously going to be very exciting and had the potential to go huge uh, and we weren't we weren't too wrong yeah it, uh, so we've yeah go ahead sir we've always been involved in vr um and uh coming for some of us coming from a triple a gaming background we have the experience of developing and publishing uh, uh games titles so the the combination of our experience in the games industry and the vr side of things was a sort of perfect marriage really what does vr add to the gameplay or the game itself uh that that you know the regular old paradigm uh doesn't have you know how do you sell <clears throat> the vr version uh to to a person who might be mildly interested uh in, in it you know how, how do you say well now you can look around your cockpit and you know, but you know, what other things will you know? Would you say? Um, well, that's one of the main selling points, mm -hmm. but uh, it, it it just brings that unparalleled level of immersion and presence within the game world, rather than having that that, that flat two D plane disconnecting you from the game. Uh, you actually get fully involved in it, and um, you know, you 
you you you lose yourself within this futuristic sci-fi world. So it just adds so much more and just makes it so much more enjoyable. And once you really uh, get to grips with the the benefits of the VR of sort of looking up into the corners and being able to see all around you and see the um, uh, see your 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 competition. Uh, coming up, couple coming up alongside you easily, then it just makes it feel much more real and entertaining, and 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 puts you right there. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I before I, I want to talk a lot more about Radial G, but let, tell me really quick about your story. Like, how did you how did you end up at this point in time uh, working uh, with Radial G? You know, what were some of the things that led you to where you are now? Well. Um, after graduating um, oh, about 20 years ago, which makes me feel very old, um, then I, I started working doing software testing for e-learning and learning about UX and usability. And there, there's always a talk of gamification and um, opening out um, uh, uh, new technologies to increase people's learning and involvement and, and uh, interaction. Um and then I, I managed to get a lucky break by getting a job at uh, NCSoft um, when they were setting up a new office in, in Brighton for Europe. Nice. Um, and I was, I think I was employee number 14 or something like that. Uh, and it grew up to about 150. And um, sorry, can I just pause one minute just to get my cats out? Yeah, you have a yeah. wonderful cat, I just got to say. <laughs> awesome sounds. I love them. <laughs> it's, a, it's a Siamese and a Bengal, but they're very noisy. Yeah, uh, I've just got home. They're very excited, so I'm just going to boot them out. Hang no on. worries. Love the sounds. <laughs> right. right. It's a lot easier to talk when I haven't got two cats fighting on my feet. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. So um, I joined NCSoft. Uh, primarily looking after Guild Wars um, when that was in very early stages of development uh, and that was obviously a very exciting prospect and uh, well a sort of realisation of uh, a main dream of getting to work in the games industry so um, then you, you quickly learn that um, like most industries they're all quite the same and there's always a level of politics and uh, elements that you don't like and um, it's not all fun and games making games um, but uh, it, it was a good run for a good number of years and uh, I worked on some, some big titles with Guild Wars and Ion and well Wildstar uh, back when it was called something else completely different and looked completely differently um, but uh, as with everything in the game industry it was a, um, a, a turbulent time and um, things got cancelled and people got made redundant myself included hmm. uh, so I moved on so um, I then started doing uh, sticky viral marketing games uh, for a company called Curb um, and uh, we had um, a good number of successes working on uh, promotional marketing flash games uh, mostly for Sony actually hmm. uh, but a lot of TV channels as well but that taught me um, all about um, you know the, 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 those real intrinsic gameplay loops and hooks to, to get people in playing uh, very quickly and then creating titles that just had that very much instinctive one more one more go um, side of things. Mm. 
Um, after that, I then moved on to. Um, I'll go after that. Sorry, I've completely forgotten. It's a uh, Gamania working with free to play MMOs, bringing um, Taiwanese games over wow. um, from the east to the west, um, which is a very uh, a, a tricky prospect um, because Taiwanese gamers uh, uh, accept a very different level of um, uh, quality to, to a certain degree than Western gamers. How so? Um, well, a lot of the games are cheap, produced very cheaply and very quickly, and oh. um, ending up looking like they are produced very cheaply and very quickly. Um, and there was a lot of uh, requirement from the bosses to um, become profitable very quickly, um, which uh, you can't really do with um, crappy-looking games. Uh, mm. So um, until um, they uh, increase the level of quality, it was very hard to sell. Uh, games that are obviously very, very sort of Chinese into the uh, uh, into the Western market. Mm. Interesting. Um, then I worked for Zynga for a while uh, through another company, uh, looking after all of their localization and translations and um, uh, testing, uh, and then ended up back in um, VR and, and, and simulation. And after working there for a year or so doing serious stuff, um, the team we decided to branch out and pool all of our experience and make Radio G. Nice. What a what a what a journey, man. That sounds like uh, yeah, twenty years in the industry. Ah, oh, wow. That's uh, that's intense. <laughs> I, well, I I imagine a lot of ups and downs, right? Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of ups and downs. Um, but um, like any journey, you know, you. you you take the rough with the smooth and you learn from the mistakes and move on and don't repeat it. Mm. Um, and one of the reasons why we wanted to set up Tamika is to be um, independent and to be free of the shackles of big publishers and being told what to do and being bossed around and held to deadlines and having last minute design uh, changes put on you and all crunch and all that kind of thing. Um, and actually sort of be masters of our own domain and make games that we wanted to make. I like your style. Um, uh, very much um, so. <laughs> uh, Jeff, who's, who, who's on our team, he's the game director. He comes from Blackrock Studios, Climax Racing and Acclaim. So he's worked on titles like Extreme G, MotoGP, Pure and Split Second. Um, so he brings the racing pedigree. I bring the sort of massive scale pedigree that um, we'll, we'll, we'll be looking to eventually and then um, sort of married the two with with the VR uh, expertise of our artists and our coder and um, made Radial G the sort of fastest VR racing game uh, that we all love. So. Yeah, it's, it's definitely an awesome game. Now, here's the, here's the thing about Radial G where when, when I first started looking at gameplay footage... Um, and it was uh, on YouTube, and it was just uh, gameplay footage, you know, not with the side-by-side -side view for Oculus. Uh, it was it was just regular. And you know, I remember looking at it and seeing the car, the, the crafts inverting and flipping all over the place, and, and thinking to myself, "Oh my god, oh my god, I'm I'm not gonna make it. I'm 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 going to suffer simulation sickness in this thing." You know, I even had that Pavlovian Pavlov. Pavlovian response for a sec, like I like I get a little thing in my stomach, and then I put it on, and then at the Rift, and I and I tried Radio G, and nothing. Uh, I had no sim sickness, and I, and I, you know, I, I'm not even kidding. Like it's, 
how? <laughs> you know, because looking at the YouTube video, I was like, oh, dude, oh, that, this is going to hurt, you know. But but putting it on and trying it, I was just like, you know, I, I, I need to beat my, my record. I'm number 84 in the ranks. I need to get further. Um, so, I mean, what, huh, I, you know, the thing that I'm wondering here is, why am I not getting sim sim sickness? Is it is it because I I'm I'm sitting down uh, and I can see a cockpit around me? What do you think these? This uh, is? That's part of it. Um, we did make some very very specific design um, considerations uh, when we were designing the look and feel and the cockpit and um, uh, the whole sort of VR experience. Um, I'm actually in the middle of an email replying to um, Ben at Road to VR because he's saying that we've broken every rule in the book. Shout out to uh, Ben. Yeah, he's cool. Uh, so I'm just trying to prove to him how we uh, we may have broken them all, but maybe we've, we've just rewritten them. Um, <laughs> uh, so mainly it's, um, yes, yeah, so you, you're sat down in the cockpit, which um, is a environment that you would expect to find yourself in. Mm -hmm. Uh, which helps. Um, it's a futuristic sci-fi world. Your brain automatically goes, oh, this isn't real. I don't need to worry about it. And yeah. switches off a little bit. Um, and then you have um, uh, 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 the track in front of you, which is this constant um, element, which you can always focus upon. Um, and then there's no real far-off uh, horizon that, that you can see to, to really see what is up and what is down. Um, and then similarly, there's no major sort of ground plane to completely invert. Um, and then we also, we don't actually change the speed that much. Uh, so when you go over boost pads, um, there's a graphical effect and that kind of hides quite how, how much of a boost you get. Um, and similarly, when you, when you hit the slowdown gate, you're not actually slowing down. Well, you, you 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 slow down a lot more there, but because it's all close to you, um, but it's all still within the cockpit, and you're expecting it to be happening, um, it reduces a lot of the effect. Um, and of course, the final element is that it all runs um, silky smooth at at least sixty frames per second. So um, as soon as we get our DK twos, then that 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 additional screen resolution and lower latency will um, hopefully you know reduce uh, any feeling of, of sickness much further. Definitely. Uh, so I've seen about just over a thousand people um, play it, and I'm still counting on both of my hands uh, how many have had had to take the headset off after about twenty seconds. That's impressive. We've had eight, I think it is. Uh, and three of those admitted that they get travel sick really easily anyway. Um, and the other th uh, two or three others, it was their first time on the Oculus Rift. Um, and uh, the others, I guess, they were genuine cases. But, uh, yeah, it's it, it's kind of tricky for us because half the people who watch the videos, they're like, oh, my God, I'm going to be sick. I can't play that. Mm -hmm. um, and the other half are like, oh my god, this looks sick, I must play this. <laughs> uh, so uh, it's kind of, we need to convince the first 50% that they won't be sick and they just need to try it. Um, and then they will find out for themselves that they will be more than fine. 
Yeah, I speak from experience. You need to try it. I mean, yeah, it looks like you're going to, you know, it, it looks like you're not going to make it, but you do. And you don't want to take it off after because it's it's the, the arcadey sort of, you know, beat your score, get through these gates just in the gameplay feels so smooth. It's just it's just a very addicting combination. Um, but those things that you just mentioned, those factors uh, like the, you know, no horizon, a fixed track, uh, you can't really tell what's up or down. Are these things that you knew right away would work uh, in, in immersing the player and, and, and ridding them from, from simsickness? Or are, are these things that you sort of stumbled upon, you know? Uh, they were all considered design um, factors that we implemented uh, throughout the process of, of, of concepts uh, because we knew that these elements would reduce the simulator uh, sickness that some people would feel. Um, the, the, the main thing we can't really get away with is the fact we can't control um, uh, uh, we can't control you know, how, the age of the person playing, uh, their general sort of health and fitness, um, the temperature in the room, um, the, the general environment and their setup. These are all things which uh, can make people feel sick as well, but we can't control that. Uh -huh. So, you know, we could have a health and safety warning at the start saying, well, you know, it helps if you're young, um, it helps if you're sitting in a cool room, it helps if you've got some air, um, don't play with in sort of big, noisy, hot environments, that kind of thing. But then um, I've had uh, two guys, one was about 75 and one was about 80. I've, I've had my grandma on it, who's 85, and she was on it for half an hour, and I, I I couldn't get her off it, so. <laughs> <laughs> she probably has a, a better score than me. Um, <laughs> uh, we have implemented leaderboards then, so you're okay. <laughs> okay. Now, uh, I was going to ask you, uh, Cyber Reality today on the our Oculus forums has, you know, it's just been posted that he uh, he's saying that DK2 will, will rely heavily on, on V-Sync. Uh, now, I'm yeah. not a very, uh, yeah, I, admittedly, I'm not, a, I'm not too... Techni technically, like, uh, yeah. I, I, w I wanted to use the word, I'm technically challenged, but no, that doesn't really work either. I, you know, there's a lot of things about, you know, just Rift development and, and game development that I have yet to know. So can you see if you can explain it to me like I'm five years old? Like, how, what, how, is, how does, not, you know, relying on V-Sync with DK2 uh, affect, if at all, you know, uh, Radial G or, or games in, of, of that sort? Um, okay, so the way I understand it for them um, is that uh, it's essentially being treated as a dual channel. So each frame must be locked uh, to the same refresh rate. Um, otherwise, things get out of sync and then you get tearing. Uh -huh. um, and one one side will, will fall out of sync with, with the other. So uh, one will be playing catch up or one will be ahead. Uh, which will obviously be showing your brain two different images and you're going to be feeling sick very quickly. Um, we're actually working with some other drivers for, for, for Oculus um, and uh, the, the, the latency time is, is very, very low. Um, but yeah, so far um, V-Sync is very important. Um, but a lot of more modern graphics cards handle this fine. Um but uh, I'm still waiting to see what the kind of uh, gr what the recommended specification would be for PCs for DK2 and above, because obviously you've got greater resolution um, spread across the eyes, um, 
they're going to need more more graphical horsepower to um, give you silky smooth 60, well, uh, they're saying 75 frames per second um, uh, minimum. So, mm. but um, yeah, it, it, it generally means uh, you want each image updating together at the same time when they're supposed to be and not tearing um, and having as stable an image as possible. From from what I've been reading in the comments, it's uh, it, it's it, I'm under the impression that the and I might be wrong um, that VSync is sort of has a bad reputation. Is that so? And if so, do you know why? Um, I'm not hugely aware of that. Okay. Um, but then I'm not the main technical guy on the team. Um, uh, I'm sure our coder could probably talk for hours about VSync and, and, and G-Lock and various other things, uh, which uh, start to go over my head, and I just sort of nod and <laughs> uh, daze out. But um, uh, yeah, it's generally um, medium to high-end graphics cards have been able to handle it for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, so I do believe, um, NVIDIA at least anyway, are planning on releasing a lot of uh, graphics chipsets with VR specific features um, uh, put into them um, but uh, again my coder says most of this is all just marketing bull and um, it's all there anyway and it mostly comes down to the capabilities of, of, of the developer uh, thanks for your honesty by the way on, on, on answering the question now you're moving on a little bit on to the input device and, and for you personally or, or, or for Radio G ideally what would be the the input device that you guys want to you know utilize or have the gamers utilize uh, for, for your game um, well something like the six Sense stem um, or maybe the, the control VR gloves are looking quite interesting hmm. Uh, something that allows you to actually hold those uh, hold those handles in the cockpit because the first thing most people do when they first put on the, the the headset and look around the cockpit is you can see them reaching out for the handles which which don't exist. Uh, so it would be really really nice to have some kind of setup where we can actually give them some kind of responsive haptic controllers where they can actually pull those handles and things actually happen. Um, that would be, you know, sort of full immersion. Yeah, that would be pretty awesome. Because, um, yeah, you know, um, an Xbox 360 controller doesn't really cut it. So, um, it, but then at the moment, our, our controls are pretty simple. So um, we could probably get away with just having, um, uh, what is it, the, the the PlayStation Move Nav controller, the one with a little joystick on. Yeah. Um, and a single button. That would probably work. Um, and put it in a sort of central column kind of thing between your legs, kind of like a helicopter pilot or something. Um, but yeah, we will probably look at a variety of control support um, because people have been crying out for um, steering wheels and yokes and um, slightly more outlandish control methods. Um, <laughs> That's, uh... I'd really love to be able to hack the old uh, uh, steel battalion controller and get that in there somehow, but... <laughs> If I can, if I can put in my uh, my outlandish request for um, an input device, I would like to see if you guys could sometime in the future, or in a parallel universe, incorporate an emotive epoch. So if so that you know the thing that scans your brain. So when I think left, the thing will go left, and when I think right, oh, right. yeah, yeah. 
we can probably have a crack at that. I'm yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, it's okay. I, uh, you guys have a lot on your hands already. Now, yeah. uh, uh, what other gameplay elements are you, are you guys planning on putting in the game? Or is there going to be shooting of any kind, like, uh, or, 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 or uh, like enhancements or modifications for for crafts? You know, what is that going to look like? Um, okay, so weapons are one of the most hotly contested and discussed uh, features in the game um, in-house um, because we have a couple of racing purists um, and then we have a couple of people who remind people that we're selling an arcade racer, um, not a simulator. Um, so, um, and people come back to us, you know, and they want to blow stuff up and they want to blow people off the track. Um, but if we're planning on having 32 players multiplayer and everyone's got weapons, it's not going to be a very long race or it's just going to be blue shell hell. So, uh, we have to be very, very careful how we balance that. Um, but, uh, yeah, for the first version that we're looking to release, um, uh, when we hit the, the, the base goal for, for Kickstarter is, um, uh, it'll be three worlds with three tracks per world. So nine in total. Um, and there'll be a variety of single-player and multiplayer modes, and that could be, um, uh, you know, sort of lap attack and um, championships and tournaments and uh, 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 one-off races. Um, uh, typical sort of like, uh, what's it called? Um, eliminator. Uh, uh, sort of, sort of general, sort of typical online racing modes. Um, but then we are looking at kind of a hardcore VR mode as well. Um, and we have, we had a lot of the Sony Morpheus guys asking us um, over the past couple of days why haven't we implemented uh, steering by tilting the head? Um, and that's just because we don't think that the uh, recognition's there yet to do it. Mm. Um, but we'll, we'll see what happens with DK2 and the camera and the the uh, better positional tracking, uh, but also um, they're coming from their game with the Street Luge, um, where it's generally quite um, uh, sort of gentle movements, um, whereas we've got some pretty uh, sharp moves where you need to be flipping from left to right uh, on a stick quite tight uh, to, to go between the gate the speed boost and the inside line of the corner um and um we don't really want to be snapping people's necks so <laughs> yeah totally. People whiplash, so. <laughs> totally understandable uh now what you said vr hardcore mode what what, what does that mean well that's the mode i'm just talking about oh, okay okay i see you you would be steering by uh, tilting your head left and right oh um, and then it could be like a, um, the wipeout zone mode where it just carries on getting faster and faster and faster until the shield runs out. Now, another question I want to ask you. How difficult would it be for, for a small studio such as you guys, I mean, to incorporate, um, you know, like uh, the ability to create your own tracks and, and share them, a la, a la, you know, a la Little Big Planet sort of thing, you know, where in Little Big Planet you create your own little levels yeah. and you share them. You know, is that... Is, is, is the infrastructure available for, for indie devs to, to create things such as that? Or is that to, uh, you know, something that only AAA studios can, can pull off with manpower and, uh, you know, magic? Uh, well, some of it comes down to the capabilities of your devs. Mm -hmm. uh, and 
Games, we have very capable developers, um, but then also a lot of it comes down to how much freedom you give people. So we're looking at a couple of options for um, track editing and uh, being able to create your own and, and share and set up challenges with friends, that kind of thing. Um, and it could be, because uh, we're using tubes at the moment, um, it could be you, you draw a shape, it fills it out, and then you can put on some speed pads and your slowdown gates and the other assets that, that, that we're going to be creating, um, such as the splits and the jumps and the loops and the wider bits and the narrower bits and the flatter bits and the rounder bits. Um, or um, we could work with kind of like a Skeletrix type setup or like slot uh, car racing, I guess you call it over there. Um, so you give people a set of um, predetermined shapes. So you have like a tight corner and a long corner and a short straight and a long straight. Um, and then they can slot these pieces together within a budget. Um, so um, to two short straights cost the same as one long straight, that kind of thing. And you have I don't know, 50 points or whatever um, uh, to, to spend before your track has to be complete. Um, but um, a lot of it, again, you know, it comes down to our Kickstarter goals and um, our stretch goals and how far we get um, as to, you know, what we can implement and when. Um, but we aim to release an update every month which will add more content and more features post-release um, and as long as people have pledged at the 107 percent um, or apex or higher they will get access to all of that so sounds pretty sweet now, now what is the uh something that that's you know really struck me about radial g was the fact that I, i've been transported somewhere i've never been before and um, I, the art and the level design really shines through there. You know, what is what was your inspiration? What was the you know where did you guys draw your inspiration from to create the world and then that level? Um, well, mostly <laughs> the things that chain us to our desks are, uh, are our computers, uh, <laughs> the things that we love and um, uh, cherish every day. So, um, but you know we're all geeks. We've all watched hackers we've all read um uh, uh and and uh, all, all all the main books and we're all sort of well into cyber reality and virtual reality and it just seems uh the obvious first point of uh, of reference would be inside a computer and kind of uh, a blown up uh, full scale size world based on processors <laughs> that is intense <laughs> Yeah, that's really intense. <laughs> I like that. I really like that style. Is there a story to this? I mean, you know, what what's the context to to these races and why I'm racing you and you know all, all that all that good stuff. Uh, there is a story. Um, we haven't really revealed much of the story yet. I think we should probably start doing that. Um, it's uh, it's still being written and it's still in the polish phase at the moment. Um, at a very high level, it's obviously set far in the future. Um, you will play one of three uh, factions who are competing against each other for resources um, in a diminished uh, galaxy. Um, and these races are the way of determining which faction gets the uh, sort of month's crop of resources, as it were. 
Um, and that's about all I can really say at the moment. <laughs> sounds sounds good. Yeah, that sounds. Yeah, it looks like uh, I'll, I'll be paying close attention to that story later on. Now, um, something that I think is a pattern that I've been sort of seeing in the in the Kickstarter realm and the indie development sector is uh, you've we've we're sort of funding games that we wish already existed um and no matter who developed them uh, but a lot of the times it falls on big game developers to bring those games about so f for example mega you know mega man the next mega man um game that was supposed to be out a long time ago and something went down and you know now there isn't and i'm sure someone will come up with a mega man clone that will be worked out in virtual reality same with with F Zero, the F Zero series. I don't think we've seen an F Zero game in a long, long time, and and here you guys are filling in that void. Um, is this is, is this is this pattern right here? Like, are, is this where the trend is headed? Where indies are are creating the games that we've already been wanting to have? Um, or or is this sort of something that you know I'm seeing things. <laughs> No, 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 I think you're you're perfectly right. Um, there's a very fine line between uh, recreating a game that existed a long time ago, you know, perfectly or, or, or as near as perfectly as possible. But um, uh, what a lot of people do who either are very heavily influenced by a game or want to repeat or, or, or you know, update a game is they miss um, a core gameplay mechanic or, or a core gameplay loop. So it kind of looks the same, it kind of feels the same, but something just doesn't quite feel right. Um, it's like drinking, I don't know, cheap supermarket soda um, as, a go, as opposed to, um, you know, Pepsi or whatever. Um, it looks like it, it kind of smells like it, but it doesn't really taste like it. Mm. Um, but uh, the AAA um, uh, games industry these days, you know, it's so driven by money and you know, guaranteed box sales before they'll even consider doing anything. Um, uh, sequelitis and uh, it's very, very risk adverse. So it's it. We now have the situation where the major consoles and well, Sony especially, and obviously PC um, is a lot more open anyway. Um, and with Steam Greenlight, um, and we have this you know sort of new talent of uh, game designers and game makers who um unlike myself you know they've grown up with computers around them and had access to them and learned how to hack and code from a very very early age so you know uh, i've got um 14 and 15 year olds snapping at my heels uh making me feel very very old and i'm not even 40 yet so. <laughs> man um, but you know uh if uh if they can get the IPs and the copyrights and the trademarks and stuff, um, it's all fine. Um, Nintendo haven't come knocking yet, but um, uh, we seem to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, we're we're clearly not ripping anything off. We are um, taking the best bits from some of our favourite games and then making something new. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's pretty much all Blizzard did with World of Warcraft. So. Yeah, I, I definitely don't see much of a conflict in terms of, you know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't see Nintendo, I mean, trying to, to, to do something in that realm. It's funny, though, you bring up the the whole the sequelitis 
and and big publishers don't want to get in the game until they know that they're going to sell a million units. It's sort of what um the Ubisoft had said about the Oculus Rift a couple months ago. He was like, uh, you know, we're not going to invest into the Rift unless uh, you know they already have a million units sold or something of that in that regard. And it sort of it, it makes me sad <laughs> to see that. You know, I, I I sort of grew up in the Nintendo 64 era, and in that era, I felt like there was a lot of experimentation in games. Um, there was, you know, your your Banjo Kazooies, uh, just experimenting with art. You, you know, uh, Mario 64, Mario Kart, like they were experimenting in a lot of these games. You know, um, and I feel like it's caught to a point where, especially with the the big AAA publishers, where it's like they they're they're stuck in a sort of their innovators innovators dilemma they they know what works they they know that ra rapid you know fast action first person shooters work so let's churn one out every year uh sequels mind you and they they know that uh mmorpgs work uh in the in a certain fashion and i feel like there's this void to experiment and and this is where i think you know, VR really is, I, I think, in my opinion, the saving, uh, I don't know, the magic bullet that the gaming industry needs or, you know, the catapult that get the gaming industry needs because it's sort of stagnant. Um, you know, how do you how do you feel coming from, you know, the thing that I'm, I'm like, uh, you know, uh, criticizing? Is that something, you know, are, are there exceptions to this rule? Or how do you, you know, what, what do you, what's your take? There are some some large studios and and, and uh, publishers who are more than happy to uh, uh, take risks. Um, if you look at um, you referenced them earlier, uh, Media Molecule and Little Big Planet. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Sony took a huge great risk signing that originally, um, and then you know look how how big it's become. It's like how many millions and millions of uh, user generated levels have been made. How popular is it? There's like you know, three, four different versions of uh, Little Big Planet. There's a new one announced coming out soon, and uh, for PlayStation Four, and uh, you know it's, it's spawned onto Terraway. Um, but then, Media Molecule operate very much as a indie developer. They're very free. They're very open. They're very uh, creative. You know, they stop people from working and do game jams, and they have a lot of fun. And you know, their website shouts that hey, this is a real good, fun place to work. And it's not just corporate pretend bullshots. You know, it is actual. It is actually a really good place to work. Hmm. Um, but um, coming away from a lot of companies being run by, uh, you know, money men, um, being able to do our own thing, you know, it's all sunshine and unicorns for us. So, um, but of course, you know, we still have to run a business and we still have to survive and we still have to, um, take a paycheck home and, and, and be able to eat and pay rent and bills and stuff. So um, we have all of that as well to, to worry about. But when you're actually developing something for yourself rather than just somebody else to get a big fat bonus, you know, it, it makes it all, all that much more worthwhile. Is that changing? Is that is, is Are we going to see in the future the middleman being cut out? Uh, somehow, uh, you know, because of the internet, because of Kickstarter, because of just the tools are becoming cheaper and cheaper. Uh, Unreal Engine four twenty bucks a month. Like, it, uh, it, is 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 it? Could it be possible a reality in which uh, developers 
sort of have to sort of just skip the middleman and we can just give you my money like here no publishing fee bullshit you know no box store because I, I don't have to go to Best Buy or GameStop I just bought it from Steam you know sort of you know fees it is you just get sort of the, the you know direct you know uh transaction from person to person is is that is that a, a thing that could happen or are, are you know publishers here to stay in, in your in your opinion uh, i think there will always be publishers um i mean there is always there's something nice about owning a nicely designed game box uh, and opening it for the first time uh, i mean i i still lust after the days of amiga and st when you had like the really big oversized boxes made out of cardboard and big fat instruction manuals and loads of discs and stuff to to, to install um nowadays it's all just you know skinny little dvd cases with <laughs> one piece of paper inside and a disc it's kind of like well what am i actually buying here um, yes, you do get all the special editions and limited editions, but publishers just use them to, you know, charge you a lot more money for virtual items in the game, um, as opposed to actual quality of the the uh, physical product that, that you're buying. Um, but um, I think until well, Steam's very very lucky in that position in that they are obviously so huge now that they dominate the PC market. Um, and they also sell a lot of games that aren't sold or aren't available um, either because they haven't been released or, or because retail isn't interested because of the volume sales. Um, so um, they have that position where they're offering stuff that you couldn't buy online anyway, so they can set the prices and work with the developers to do all the crazy Steam sales and everything else. Yeah. And and the money, you know, obviously Steam takes their their, their percentage, but um, you know the the money goes to the developer. Um, but um, you know, if you're looking at digital versions of um, uh, 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 Xbox One and PlayStation Four titles compared to high street prices, you know they're not that much different, or in some cases they're even higher. Um, but then high street retail is still very very strong, um, and until uh, everyone has you know. 100 megabit uh, home internet connection that that is very very stable always on and always working and cheap um then people are going to have to rely on going to a store uh, physically to to buy stuff um and as long as that happens then um digital sales prices are always going to be a little bit high i think because of the the grip that retail has mm. That's a very good point you bring up in terms of yeah that experience of uh, unboxing something. I I you know just you just bring up my my old memories of unboxing my first Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time Nintendo 64 cassette and it was uh, and it was in gold and it was the only cartridge that was gold and I remember just staring at it and sniffing it and and wanting to sleep with it but I you know it was a cassette. Um it was yeah I I I definitely see the value um, especially for me, I because I, I get that nostalgic thing going, but but at the same time, you know, you just like what you said earlier, Steam is very very convenient. Um, yeah. So I don't know, you're yeah, this is a very interesting like topic of conversation, and I think the future can go either either way. Um, yeah, it, it, we'll have to see. You mentioned something earlier that that caught my attention uh, about a hundred megabit connection. Um, 
if it were possible to to cover you know to give four billion people uh, you know at least a hundred megabit if not more you know like google fiber google fiber is what a, a thousand i'm not i'm not really too sure uh, i'm not too sure i don't even know if we have it in the uk so oh my god imagine if you could actually have that like a thousand that's neat that's not a megabit that's a that's a gigabit or no i yeah yeah making a fool of myself well, you but can't. you just have to move to taiwan <laughs> uh, yeah there you go it's a problem oh, solved i yeah i lived in taipei for a year and it was one of the most amazing experiences ever uh and yeah i i what would you think hap would happen like if in terms of like how we make transactions over the internet how we interact with the internet if all of a sudden or at least gradually all of us you know at least four billion people had gigabit internet like that would be you know what do you think would happen <laughs> um well comcast probably wouldn't be voted worst company in america again um <laughs> uh, i'd imagine yeah it's, it's a difficult one because as as a techie geek, you know, to me that obviously really appeals, but then you think about it and it's like, well, maybe if you did all these things so quickly you didn't need to go out and you didn't need to, all your, all your interaction was, uh, you know, 4K video calls and you, you could play anything you wanted at any point and, uh, uh, you know, stream any movie and just, um, there was no need for cinemas, no need for shops or, or anything else and everything was just delivered to your door. I mean, in some cases, not that far away from it with uh, with Amazon, but um, it would be very beneficial, I think, in a certain degree. But um, I don't know. Maybe it it would result in the collapse of mankind because uh, commerce would collapse uh, because of all the, the the high street money and uh, all of the, the 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 big TV providers and everything would all collapse because um, you know they can't charge you arm and leg for. Um, uh, a couple of extra megabytes, which makes all the difference. Interesting. Uh, I know America has, you know, some of the best and majorly some of the worst um, broadband coverage uh, in the world. So um, it's uh, it's a great shame that you know, in, in some regards, uh, you're one of the more advanced nations. But um, I think generally your broadband is uh, pretty crappy. It's total know, shit. Those places. Yeah, it sucks. I agree. <laughs> there's a lot of things there's a lot of things that could be better here especially you know yeah i'm like uh in daily city right next to san francisco and you know uh, you know just 20 30 minutes from silicon valley and i figured i would have you know a better internet connection but nope nope i you know i um i'm just i'm just a mere mortal like everyone else <laughs> but then uh i have you know 75 megabit and uh, I don't really know what to do with it half the time so <laughs> maybe if you had a virtual reality uh, MMO RPG where you can go in there and you know and you need and, and you and it's a world that is procedurally created and uh, you know it's in the cloud maybe you you might that might come in handy I don't know yeah, I mean, uh, I'd be a lot more interested to see some kind of, you know, really high tech, high core, uh, hardcore, you know, streaming services. Not like um, uh, on uh, was the uh, was it on digital or whatever the um, gaming streaming service was that just sort of applied Vaseline to the screen that is all smeary and um, it looked like a badly streamed YouTube video. Uh, uh, but um, you know, something that, that worked reliably and could deliver at least 1080p at 60 frames per second um, for, well, you know, well, 1080p 
achieve reach height at 75 frames per second, uh, that would be nice. Um, and then, yeah, as you say, cloud-based VR um, environments to uh, freely wander around in. So, yeah, that would be insane. Let me. This is a question. I think this is the million-dollar question. I, what? What? Why? Why don't we have uh, gigabit internet all over the world? Why? Why does? Why does Comcast and AT and T and all the big you know, internet providers uh, feel like they feel like that that this isn't necessary, or or, or why are they stalling? I, I I don't know what they're thinking. I really wish I knew. I was inside the mind of you know their CEO or their chairman and and and, and figured out like what is it that is stopping them from spreading this because they would benefit so much. I feel like, or 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 are they scared that they'd be shooting themselves in the foot? You know what do you think? I don't know. I mean, it's difficult enough to think, or it's difficult enough to, to wonder what they're thinking when, um, well, it's, it's, it's money. It's money and profits and uh, mm-hmm. control and power. That's what they're thinking. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the whole sort of moving towards destroying uh, net neutrality and uh, chopping up the internet into slow lanes and fast lanes and charging you for using, you know, a Netflix friendly service over a email friendly service and stuff like that that's all pretty pretty scary times and goes against everything that the internet was set up for in the first place yeah. um so um but uh hey uh the the current head of the fcc is um uh ex cable company so um he uh, would be buddying up to them rather than um trying to defend the internet for for what it should be which is freedom of information and uh, uh, enabling people to communicate and work together um, rather than um, supposedly organize terrorist plots. Yeah, it's sort of sad that you, you, you were in this. It's not even a secret. It's not even, it, you know, you guys aren't even trying to hide it. It's, it's you're really the head of the regulating body that is supposed to keep the Internet as, you know, as free and as open as possible is working against it and it's because there's this thing called the revolving door where you go from from government to companies from companies to government and you know it's a you know you're you're scratching each other's backs and it's lame because you're you're scratching each other's backs at the expense of who us the consumers people uh who have to pay pay extra for your bullshit and it's yeah it's it's sad i think uh, that we're headed in this weird or there's parts of 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 society that want to take us in this weird direction for the internet you know just like you said earlier slow jane slow lanes and fast lanes that sucks balls uh the frag you know fragmenting the internet where you'll have the north american internet versus the european internet versus the russian internet versus the chinese internet that that's not that's not you know that how is that supposed to serve humanity if we have these walled you know firewalls can you know where where countries and governments can have total and complete control of what information you get to have because i get at the end of the day information is i think it's just one of the most powerful tools humanity has ever encountered really you know if 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 we go down to fundamentals and it's 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 scary you know i have a solution though i, I i've thought about this long and hard um and i think that we need to take i can and because it's I, I can is the you know it's that that body that the, the organization that is supposed to regulate a lot of internet names and stuff. I yeah. think we should take them and put them uh, in an international space station so that they can be completely unbiased from you know a, a, a country 
and and just you know you know, from there they could no one has jurisdiction over them so they can you know we can figure out a way to democratize how they operate you know so we'll vote a representative from france a representative from south africa a representative from Brazil, and fly them over to the international space station and from there they can overlook the internet where no nsa spies can come in and try to take them um now uh foolproof plan i i ran it through uh i ran it through the uh, cia chief down at you know in sf um and he says it'll work uh but what you know what do you think we're headed here is is it, is it a dark future for the internet i mean they, these every every six months a new cispa keeps coming out or a new you know bill that tries to fuck up our internet freedoms is trying to come out and it's it's tiring to fight them you know every like you it's just tiring hearing about them it's just, i can't imagine how tiring it is to be in the in the front lines fighting them um so you know is there hope please tell me there is <laughs> Uh, I think there is, but um, it's probably contained within a couple of lenses that uh, warp the screen in front of you to make it look more um, uh, wider field of view. Um, and uh, we're all just going to end up like the uh, various images around on the internet where we're just huddled up in the corner on a dirty old mattress uh, staring through our, uh, uh, our VR headsets at uh, lands of you know, blue skies and unicorns and rainbows. So, but um, no, I mean, in, in all seriousness, um, it's a potentially good idea. But I think the uh, ISS is run by uh, the US and the Russians, so kind of like, um, uh, and they control air supply and stuff. So yeah. it'd be like, yeah, ha ha how are those decisions going up there? How do you like breathing? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, I think um, you know, people power will always win out. Um, mm -hmm. In the end, um, and that is a good thing about the internet is you know obviously you can spread information and people can learn. So um, as long as they're not wasting time doing selfies and loads of vanity stuff, then um, uh, trying to better themselves, then you know we can unite together as a as a global uh, humanitarian force for the better and um, a longer, nicer planet, really. Yeah, I've been saying this for a while. I, I would really like to see a virtual reality industry lobby group in every government out there on planet Earth, so that you know, so that we're stop, we so that we can stop playing the defensive game and go on the offensive and 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 play the game the way they play it. And when they get mad that we're winning, then we'd be like, hey, you know, we're just playing the game, man. Don't hate the player, hate the game. Oh, I can't believe I said that. But yeah, that's how I feel like. You know, if we're if we're really about to do something, you know, about to make virtual reality something that is gonna become ubiquitous, we need to be in the in in government, up in their faces, you know, offering them uh, trips to Alaska and you know doing the dirty shit that <laughs> that that the other companies do because otherwise, you know, you're gonna have. I feel like in my mind, in my paranoid, crazy mind, I feel like uh, it, it could very well, ha very well possibly be that companies that are stuck to the old paradigm, like your TV companies and your, um, you know, movie theater, you know, groups, they are going to be threatened by virtual reality because here comes this thing that takes you somewhere else because the human brain is pretty dumb at you know figuring out where you are and you know, five years from now the ocular drift is going to be fucking amazing and so do you, is 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 it possible do you think that we're, there's going to be 
and you know other industries that are going to try to gang up on on VR and um, what can be done I don't know um, I mean I think um, any new technology has always been uh, people have always been uh, suspects of it and felt threatened of it um, you know uh, the printing press came along and that scared a load of people. The first camera came along and that scared people. Moving film is like, oh, what is this? This this will never catch on. Um, and there's always that period of adjustment. Um, but I think, sadly, um, uh, a lot of people are always scared of something until they realise how they can monetize it. Um, so that's kind of one thing that, uh, you know, the the indie dev scene is is keeping fresh is um you know ideas for the people fun fun games to play uh, which are cheap and easily accessible um without all of that sort of money um extra fluff and uh, uh, crap surrounding it mm-hmm. um but uh yeah you know i've seen we have a couple of tv channels over here um uh, there's one called E4 and there's one called Sky. Um, Sky is Rupert Murdoch, uh, who's obviously a very big uh, person. I think he's very large in America and uh, uh, Australia as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I've noticed recently a couple of their uh, idents have been uh, mocking uh, VR. Mm-hmm. Um, and their little characters are doing stupid stuff with VR headsets on and stuff. And I think it's kind of like their first attempt at sort of uh, firing a barrage across the brow of, of VR because they feel threatened by it. Mm. Uh, and it's like, uh, yeah, we, we we must mock we must mock this thing that we do not understand, um, and it threatens us because it's so much better and cooler and offers so many more things that we cannot do, um, and. Um, yeah, it's, it's that sort of early, subtle, subversive uh, feed it into the mindset that this is a bad thing. But yeah. um, that it is, you know, it's it's a common thing that I've seen about VR in general. Is um, you know, I'm I'm sorry, everyone. Um, the headsets aren't great looking at the moment. Um, they are big and bulky. I agree. Um, the I, I actually had a Morpheus. Uh, I actually had had a go on a Morpheus yesterday, and um, that's obviously very round and spelt and a bit more uh, sort of designed to be looked at. Um, but it's still only a prototype. We don't know what the finished thing will look like. Uh, we don't know what, what the finished uh, uh, um, rift will look like. But um, uh, obviously the, the DK1, it's it's a functional case around the screen and it serves its purpose. But um, apart from sticking googly eyes on the front, um, it's not the, you know, it's what goes on inside rather than outside. Um, but then maybe that's just an adage about, you know, humanity in general. Um, it was, it, it's what's inside that counts. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, that's, uh, that, that, the fact that they're, they're, they're coming out of the woodwork trying to, uh, the, maybe demonize, make fun of VR because they don't understand it. I, I can see sort of their point of view, uh, being so involved in VR, uh, knowing that this this technology is a bit more profound than we give it, you know, some of us give it credit for, uh, you know, just being able to transport yourself to another reality, um, 
with, you know, even if it's just an illusion, when you think about reality deeper and deeper, you know, what is reality after all? It's, is it, is it, is it this, this thing that we perceive through our eyes that gets processed through the electrical chemical functions in our brain? What is, what, what is it? And so, and, and now you put a screen over it and you, and you get this 3D effect and depth and, you know, in, in where it's going to be, it really makes you question, like, I end up questioning <laughs> my reality sometimes because holy shit, this thing is so can be so profound one day, and I I can sort of see why they would be uh, scared of it. But the thing about scared people is they need to go to church. If you're scared, go to church. That's the thing that my friends say. I don't say that, but yeah, that's an interesting thing. Um, just trying to and how does how do you think the community or the industry need to react to these? attacks and 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 you know be belittlement by by uh established media um well they can either you know sort of reach out and support it um but um that may well be ignored or um they can do what pretty much every other medium has done um before it when when that particular medium was being attacked which is ride out the storm and just wait patiently until you are accepted Mm -hmm. um and it, you you know you, you have to have that that critical mass uh when so many people are au fait and used to it that it doesn't become scary and weird and unusual anymore but um you know we're not going to achieve that with with 75,000 headsets out in the world with another 50,000 pre-orders you know you, you, you need to get to millions levels where you know everyone around the world has access Mm -hmm. um, and I think uh, Oculus has already said, and and, and Palmer's uh, always said that, is that he wants to release it for as cheap as possible. Um, and this Facebook purchase helps them move towards that goal. Um, now I don't think they'll release it for free, but I think they'll uh, ultimately the consumer edition will be very cheap because they know that they can make money back on the software. And mm -hmm. um, um, that's how many companies get their their products across the line to be number one is by getting it in people's hands and to do that you have to make a loss uh you know look at the first playstation and playstation 3 you know sony lost loads of money per unit on those but um it was accessible it was affordable just about by most people they sold millions of them and then it became a house, household name um, you know, people say PlayStation, they don't say games console, they don't say iPod, uh, they don't say MP3 player, they say iPod. You know, it, it, Oculus want to, I think, achieve that, that level where you don't say your VR headset, you say, oh, have you got a Rift? And it could be, you know, any kind of device, but it, uh, it's VR, mm -hmm. and people associate VR with Oculus and Rift. Yeah, you know the 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 question of accessibility, I think, is something that is constantly constantly lingering in my mind when it comes to, you know, the release of consumer version one for Oculus, you know, from Oculus, because if if they, you know, according to Brendan Uribe, the CEO, he, he they're trying their their goal is to reach. A billion users. I, I mean, he he wasn't kidding when he said that, and I, and I and I believe him. I think he's 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 really meant what he said. But the thing about that goal is, 
you know, how do you make this thing plug and play immediately from the get go? Because the vast majority of people, and I, I, I'm one of them. I like, I like to think that I, you know, that I'm, I want to be, that I can have my cake and eat it. I, I'm, that I'm a console gamer and I can play on PC. And it, I, there's v two very distinct experiences till this day with with PC versus console. And you know, it just anecdotally, the other day I was playing Far Cry 3 co-op with my grandpa and my little cousin. And, you know, every so often, just the connection would get lost or the server wouldn't load and it was on PC and, and it just, you know, it, we were just getting so flustered. The gameplay was fun. The game was fun. The game was awesome. But just just getting connected, just getting in the, in, in the chat room and figuring out all that stuff like that was that was a hassle. And then Borderlands 2 on PlayStation 3 is just plug and play. We're in there. We're playing co-op. And so how does Oculus... You know, how does, you know, this company that is, you know, faced with so many challenges that haven't been seen before, you know, how do they make this thing accessible? You know, is it going to have to be paired with a steam machine so that, you know, people don't have to make the, the, the choice of, well, I don't know if my, my, my PC can run it. Um, you know, how do you, how do you spoon feed VR sort of to, to the masses? As you say, it needs to tie into well, ultimately your mobile phone because everybody has one. It's a good point. Um, most mobiles these days are you know, sort of at least this generation and maybe the previous generation just about capable of um, having a level of VR. Um, and uh, obviously, there's new mobiles in the works, um, and there's new chipsets and there's new hardware which are being designed specifically with high power or, or uh, high capabilities, low power consumption um, and small footprints, which are you know going to feature VR specific chipsets. Um, and um, the mobile's there, it's handy, it's in your pocket, you just slip it in front of your face and um, which I think you know, Google Cardboard is quite a genius invention. Um, and I think it would be great for conventions and uh, 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 expos and that kind of thing uh, as a cheap way for companies to brand VR uh, for their own products. Um, but going back to the point, I think it's just um, they are hiring the right people and True. they are making sure that um, they are getting people who have the experience of setting up systems and hosting services um, on a grand scale uh, maybe not directly related, but um, certainly very close, um, and they they have a lot of knowledge and experience that they can bring over and transfer. Um, so yeah, I think you know next year is going to be very very interesting to see what happens when they have their 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 commercial release, um, assuming it is going to be next year, um, and um, see what's actually in place to to support that. Um, and then bringing it all back to the start, you know, that's why we're working on Radio G now, is that we want to have a fully-fledged fully game, which, you know, hopefully will be a platform seller, ready to go when people get the full thing and we hit mass market. Sounds extremely exciting. Are, are you guys feeling, uh, are you guys feeling the pressure? Are you, are you, are you just poised and, and, you know, fired up to get this thing going? Or, I mean, is there, is, you know, how do you, how do you feel going forward into this? Um, at the moment, we're just concentrating on the Kickstarter and trying to make that as, as successful as possible. Um, and just trying to 
expand the reach and make sure that everyone knows about it. Um, but then, you know, knows that there's a 2D mode as well. Um, and uh, get this game funded so we can actually make it fully in the way that we want to make it. Um, we have other plans uh, if we don't reach funding. Um, we have plans B and C and after develop we have D, E and F and um, uh, we shall just keep on plugging away with our plans until we finish the game. Uh, but uh, at the moment we're not feeling too pressured. Um, uh, we're just, you know, just stat watching at the moment. <laughs> mm. um, I, I feel like we should be um, rigging up one of those um, uh, 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 sort of stocks and trades bells that every time uh, a pledge gets made or somebody votes yes on Steam Light, uh, <laughs> Steam Light, Steam Green Light, um, you know the the bell rings, um, and we all shout hooray and then carry on back back to work. So. <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah, it's all good at the moment. Um, I may say that you know something else completely different on August the second when the Kickstarter ends, but um, hopefully not. <laughs> well, I I wish you the the best of luck, and and I'm I'm sure that you guys will uh, succeed in in you know putting out this game out there. And uh, you know honestly, it's it's a really fun 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 game, and I'm excited for it uh, because it. It sort of came out of left field for me. I didn't. I wasn't expecting. I, to be frank, I was expecting to get simulation sickness, and I didn't. And then I enjoyed it, and then I couldn't stop playing it. And I really need to beat my score. I'm, I don't want maybe just 84 on the ranks. Um, so, sadly, uh, why we put the global leaderboard in? <laughs> <laughs> it, but, you know, but then you know, I also wanted to ask you, and I don't mean to sound too grandiose or or even, um, but. But do you feel, you know, your 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 that you, do you feel your your sense of history here? Like, do you guys uh, are are you guys thinking that you know, or has it crossed your mind that you guys will probably be in some history book somewhere, uh, sometime long time in the future? You know, because you were among the first to put out something that worked really well for this new medium of human computer interaction um or um, do you not let yourself get too caught up in those thoughts uh i we try and keep it on the straight and narrow and keep it in the in the uh, sort of realms of realism um <laughs> you know despite dealing in virtual realism uh but uh you know yeah we are excited by what we're doing and we're very excited by the possibilities um we don't know where we're going um i'm starting to sound like a talking heads song um but um uh overall i think you know if we do get to that stage then that's great but um ultimately we are british and we are very reserved and humble and um modest and everything else um so we won't be shouting loudly about things maybe we do need to shout louder maybe that's part of a problem but um uh yeah uh, you know I, i've just spent two days being told by various people who, who've developed a lot of vr stuff that they don't understand how we've achieved it um and why aren't people puking left right and center um and um you know i'm just immensely proud of the team and everything that we've achieved so far and um, hope that we go all the way to 
share our visions with everyone who who, who can and wants to play. So um, it may be different in you know two years' time when I'm sitting in a yacht smoking cigars made of hundred dollar <laughs> bills, but. Um, uh, I'm I'm very humble and uh, modest at this stage. <laughs> I very much appreciate your modesty. Um, last question, just sort of uh, on, on the fun side. You know, let me. I, I want to get your your guess as to what do you think will be, you know, Oculus Rift's uh, consumer version one, year one worldwide sales. Throw just the first number that com- comes to your mind, or think about it. Let, you know, what do you think? Oh, okay. Um... Uh, okay, what I want it to be is uh, four and a half million. Ah, nice. Um, yeah, I guess you know it. It, it needs to. Because what I mean, how many, how many consoles has PlayStation sold so, PS4 since launch? So far, around five, four, four, four and a half to five million. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it needs to be comparable to that. Okay. Um, to to be successful, I think. Wow. Sorry, Microsoft. <laughs> so, well, it, it's, you know, nothing is impossible in the world reality we're in, you know, where, where North Korea and, and um, Dennis Rodman can have a relationship. Uh, so can the Oculus Rift can sell 4.5 million in the first year. So who knows? Yeah. It, it could be. It, it, um, I, I like your modesty. I, I really like the, the, the humbleness. I just made up a word about you guys, and I'm really cheering you on with your with your game, and I, I really look forward to, to playing it on my consumer version 1 Oculus Rift sometime in the future. How can people stay in touch? How can people f- support what you're doing and follow up with all the awesome updates that you guys got going on? Uh, okay, so our Twitter feed is probably the busiest uh, channel, um, which is uh, radial underscore G. Um, and we have daily updates on there. Um, there's a lot of reminders for people to go to the Kickstarter and um, the cool things that you can uh, receive uh, for the various pledge levels. Um, we've added a load of add-ons as well, so things that you can't get in the pledge levels. Um, we've had some awesome fans who are making all kinds of crazy stuff, so we, we need to start sharing those as well. Um, and we're building up this fan base, so it's, it's just really nice um, seeing something grow organically. Um, then we, we're also on Facebook as well, Radial G Online. The website is uh, radial-g.com. Um, and as, as I say, you know, we are running a Kickstarter at the moment to fund the rest of the development. Um, so you can find Radial G Racing Revolt uh, on Kickstarter under video games section. Um, and we are also on Steam Greenlight, and I think we've just ticked over after about 14 days uh, to um, uh, 85% of the way to the top 100. Um, and we have uh, an average yes vote of, uh, I think it was 61%, something like that. I don't have the stats in front of me at the moment. Nice. Um, so, yeah, you can go and vote on Steam for free, um, and then... Early bird, 15, 15 pounds, which I think is roughly about $25, will get you um, all versions of the game on PC, Mac, and Linux, and even Morpheus, plus all updates forevermore. Uh, so, you know, I can't really say uh, that, you know, that there's a better bargain than that out there. Yeah, that's a really good deal. <laughs> uh, Oculus and not Oculus, um, 
and uh, maybe Morpheus and PS4. We shall, you know, watch this space. All right. Um, Sam Watts, thanks again so much for your time. Uh, you have been a true scholar and gentleman of virtual reality, and uh, I look forward to playing Radio G and, 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 and spreading the word about it because it's pretty awesome. That's great. Thank you very much, Chris. And uh, please do spread the word. That's great. And bam. All right. <laughs> that was... Okay, cool.